The Prosperity Gospel in Acts chapter 5, coming up on The Gray Snapper. <laughs> All right, welcome, Gray Snappers, to The Gray Snapper Podcast. It's a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley, and I'm your host, Jess Arns. All right, as we get into it, I just want to start off with a quick encouragement to you. We recently had our Easter services and uh, just was so impressed with all the different people serving in different avenues in the church, from children's to greeters to security, the worship team, the food, all of it. There's just so much going on. I just really appreciate all of the labor. And so I wanted to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10, because this really expresses, I think, how I, how I feel about it. It says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. I love that, just that we're bearing in mind the work of faith and labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. And I really just feel like as a body, Grace Church just really exemplifies that in many ways. So I love that. Moving on through the passage, he says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's that's the definition of repentance right there. You You turned to God from idols to serve Him. In verse 10, and to wait... For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And that is our hope at Grace Church. And I I just love how, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people serve uh, all over the world and in all kinds of different social settings. People work hard and in labor. But our labor, it it comes uh, because of our hope in Jesus Christ, our love for him, and our love for one another, and a desire. For his name to be proclaimed, and I, again, I just feel like you all have really uh, been an example of this passage. So, excel still more. Thank you so much. And now, let's get into our weekly warning. All right, this week's warning is about the prosperity gospel. Um, what is the, the Prosperity Gospel? Well, here is a quick definition from a guy named Joe Carter who wrote an article on the Gospel Coalition. The article's called What You Should Know About the Prosperity Gospel. And here's how it's defined. The Prosperity Gospel, also known as the Health and Wealth Gospel, or by its more popular brand, the Word of Faith Movement, is a perversion of the Gospel of Christ that claims that God, reward, God rewards increases in faith, with increases in wealth and or health. As Stephen Hunt explains, in the form of, the form front of this doctrine is the assurance of divine physical health 
and prosperity through faith. In short, this means that health and wealth are the automatic divine right of all Bible-believing Christians and may be procreated by faith as part of the package of salvation, since the atonement of Christ includes not just the removal of sin, but also the removal of of sickness and poverty. So that's the idea. Okay, so the prosperity gospel is essentially this, that if you have enough faith and you you give, uh, that God rewards you with health and wealth. All right, so where did this prosperity gospel come from? Well, uh, it originated as an offshoot of Pentecostalism in post-World War II America, and while it started in local congregations and tent revivals, the movement gained a larger following through the use of radio and television, and it became firmly entrenched in the 80s, with the rise of televangelism. And uh, there are, are basically five errors that you can sort of spot with the prosperity gospel's teaching. Uh, David W. Jones outlines these five errors. And the first is that the Abrahamic covenant is a means to material entitlement. So the Abrahamic covenant was the covenant that God made with Abraham that uh, if you, so if he follows God, that God would give him descendants, land, um, and blessing uh, for eternity, all right? And then number two, Jesus' atonement extends to the sin of material poverty. So meaning that treating material poverty as an evil and sin, and that Jesus dying um, accomplished uh, not only forgiveness of sin, but accomplished uh, prosperity for you, right? And then number three, Christians give in order to gain material compensation from God. So they uh, are told to tithe and to give sacrificially, and the reason is is that God will then turn around and bless you with greater and greater wealth and riches and health if you give, and that that giving is really sort of a sign of faith. Number four, faith is a self-generated spiritual force that leads to prosperity. So if you can muster up the faith yourself, then and that that then becomes the sort of power that leads to prosperity, right? And it's really the way they talk about it. It's largely trusting God and and the power of positive thinking and that kind of a thing. And then number five, prayer is a tool to force God to grant prosperity. All right. So those are general errors with the prosperity gospel. Uh, John Piper, in 2014, in a sermon, he listed six keys to detecting the prosperity gospel, and this is what he gave. Number one, the absence. This is how you, this is how you can detect if, if someone's uh, a prosperity teacher, okay, because they're not always upfront about it. Number one, the absence of serious doctrine, of a serious doctrine of the biblical necessity and normalcy of suffering. The absence of a doctrine of suffering, okay, so... Um, you can spot the prosperity gospel because they don't want to talk about suffering as a normal Christian experience. Um, that 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 in fact, if you're suffering, there's something wrong in your relationship with God. That's what they'll say. So that's one way you spot it. Number two, the absence of a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial. Okay, so the call to follow Christ is one of self-denial. This is what he says in many different places. In the prosperity teaching, though, they avoid that idea of self-denial. It's actually more about self, self-fulfillment, self-actualization, and things like that. Number three, the absence of a serious exposition of Scripture. Okay, so faithful teaching and preaching focuses on explaining the Scriptures faithfully and thoroughly. Um, these guys will, will 
basically give you a pep talk and slap some verses on it, but they're not serious in dealing with Scripture. The absence of dealing with tensions in Scripture. So there's, uh, they, they don't like, they avoid the difficult doctrines, the things that are difficult to understand. They avoid all of that stuff uh, and focus on, on what's easy and positive. Number five, church leaders who have exorbitant lifestyles. Okay, so the prosperity teachers uh, profit greatly from their teaching by convincing people to give them money. Um, and in so doing, they become an example of what they are teaching. So, you know, if, they have, if you have enough faith and you give and you become wealthy, and so then people give that guy a bunch of money and he becomes wealthy and he becomes an example of what you could have if you have faith. Church leaders will have these massively exorbitant lifestyles, um, and we will uh, cover a couple of those things in a minute. And then number six, a prominence of self and a marginalization of the greatness of God. So in the prosperity teaching, you essentially are the center of the stage. You are the main part of the story. The, everything centers on you and, and fulfilling what you want. And God's greatness for his own sake and our submission to that, our exaltation of him, our denying of ourselves that he might be exalted and lifted up, that's all marginalized. That's all set aside in the prosperity preaching. So... Um, I want to share with you a little bit of what Josh Bice says about this. Josh Bice is the head of G3, uh, which is a ministry in Georgia, and uh, you can find his stuff at g3min.org, M-I-N, G, the number three, min.org. Josh Bice, you spell it, it's kind of an interesting last name, B-U-I-C-E. He wrote this. What many people fail to realize is that the prosperity theology is bankrupt. That's right. It has nothing to offer your soul. It's a cloud without rain or a well without water. It's an empty dream that people chase with fervency only to find themselves in utter disappointment in the end. Prosperity teachers are a dime a dozen in our modern culture. And some of the most common prosperity theology teachers include people like Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, and T.D. Jakes. It's important to call out the, these names, um, and uh, I won't get into why, but it's important to call out false teachers, uh, especially ones that are destroying uh, people's lives like, like these people are. The prosperity preachers, he goes on to say, have developed their own religious vocabulary in order to get you to sow seed gift offerings. Okay, That's in quotes. S- they, they want you to sow seed gift offerings into their ministries. Joel Osteen wrote to his congregation in 2005 and stated that God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny that he's laid out for us. Recently, Creflo Dollar, a well-known prosperity teacher in Atlanta, made national news as a result of his open campaign to raise $60 million to purchase a luxury Gulfstream jet. (laughs) According to the website, for Creflo Dollar's ministry, they were requesting that 200,000 people commit to sow $300 or more to help achieve our goal to purchase the G650 airplane. This is not the message of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, it's antithetical to the gospel of Jesus and should be condemned by Christians. Um, and again, this is Josh Bias continuing. He says, when I spent time in Africa in 2014... Conrad Mbewe, a faithful Bible expositor there, 
He told me that the major obstacle in his ministry is in Zambia was prosperity and faith healing ministries that have swarmed the entire continent of Africa. You could not drive more than a couple of blocks in the city of Lusaka, Zambia, without seeing an advertisement for a faith healer or prosperity preacher. One reason for this growth in Africa and Asia is due to the extreme poverty and the lack of good health conditions. As a result, these faith healers and prosperity teachers will seize the minds and consciences of these people and cause them to think that if they will give up what little they have in faith, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon them in the form of better health and increased wealth. Their audacity is startling, their message is corrupt, and the end result is tragic. The bankruptcy of the prosperity theology is that the entire focus is on the temporal rather than the eternal. Prosperity theology is focused on money rather than Jesus. The fact remains that only people getting rich in, the only people getting rich in the world of prosperity theology are liars. So those are the only ones getting rich. Jesus warned about focusing on your best life now by saying, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? Many people go to hell each year while being very committed to prosperity theology. Their faith was in the God of gold rather than the God of grace. And John MacArthur rightly states, This is your best life if your next life is in hell. On the contrary, the riches, the heart of the gospel is that fallen sinners, okay, this is really important, okay, this is, the, this is the difference. The heart of the gospel is that fallen sinners are reconciled to God through the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. The sinner comes to God in faith, that his son has died in the sinner's place, and that through faith in his finished work, the sinner can receive the forgiveness of sin. What is more costly than salvation? 1 Peter 1, 18-21 says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The message of the gospel is that we lose our life in this life for Christ, and as a result, we find it in him. In other words, there's a better life awaiting us in Christ than anything this world has to offer. The writer of Hebrews describes Abraham's faith and says, For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The message of the gospel is that we press on through this life, in order to make Christ known as his ambassadors. We are heralds who proclaim the riches of grace that are laid up for us in heaven. And Jesus made it abundantly clear in his famous sermon, properly titled the Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The real pointed question that all prosperity teachers must answer is this. What is your ultimate treasure in this life and the one to follow? Is it earthly riches? 
Is it the wealth to come in heaven? Is it Jesus? Josh gives a few helpful questions to ask people who are trapped in this prosperity theology. He says, what is the basis of your joy? This is, these are questions to ask your friends. What is the basis of your joy? The pursuit of happiness and prosperity or in Jesus alone? What is the basis of your faith? If you stood before the throne of God today, why should he allow you into his heaven? What if you never achieved better health, increased wealth, or worldly prosperity? What does that say about your faith? Is your financial commitment to the prosperity teacher on television, or is it, or is it to God through your local church? Do you realize that many of the greatest Christians from early church, from the early church, the apostles and the early disciples, and even modern history, missionaries and preachers, that many of the greatest disciples have suffered greatly under trials, poverty, and martyrdom. What does that say about their faith in God? You see, prosperity theology is a lie. It's a false gospel. And Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So God's plan for your life may never be good health. It may be God's will for you to live in extreme poverty. It may never be that God will lavish you with worldly prosperity. However, the heart of the gospel is focused on this reality, that we came into this world with nothing, and we will likewise leave this world with nothing. It matters not how much wealth we accumulate in this life. What matters most is how we leave this world. It's not about the cars we drive or the houses we can afford. It is about Jesus. As we live this as we leave this world, we must be clinging to Christ alone. All right, so with those ideas in mind, I want to give you a couple of resources that will help you and aid you as you work through just kind of evaluating the gospel, and especially as it contrasts with the prosperity gospel. Uh, there's a guy named Costi Hinn, who is Benny Hinn's nephew. He was raised in that movement. He was a close, um, a close confidant of the Hinn family, and he, um, he wrote a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Okay, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel by Costi Hinn. His name is spelled C-O-S-T-I, and then Hinn is H-I-N-N. And then secondly, there's a great documentary on this called the American Gospel Documentary, and I believe it's uh, subtitled Christ Alone. Uh, you can find that. You can just do a search online. I believe it's on Amazon Prime and different places, YouTube TV. You can also go to watchagtv.org to find it there. Um, and with that, we'll get into our scripture reading. For our scripture reading today, we are back in the book of Acts, and we will read through Acts chapter 5. And uh, to get a little bit of context, I really, really, this is a really crazy chapter. Um, But just previously, they had been healing people and preaching the gospel and um, all kinds of awesome stuff was happening. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Back in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, they began to speak the word of God with all boldness. In verse 32, the congregation, they all had one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him. They were sharing all things together. They had all things in common. And there were people uh, that would sell their possessions and come and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they then they would take that money and distribute it to anyone as they had need. 
And then verse 36, Joseph, a Levite, he was also called Barnabas. Well, he owned a tract of land. He sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, lots of cool stuff going on. Everyone was amazed and like really awesome. So now we get into chapter 5, starting in verse 1. <laughs> Listen to this. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, real quick, I want you to notice Peter's not mad because Ananias didn't give all the money. He's, he, is a, he is upset because they lied about it. They're being pretentious and hypocritical. And they're lying in front of the congregation in order to make a show of generosity. Okay, And so that is the big thing. So he says, you've not lied to men, but to God. Another quick thing. He says in verse 3, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, you have not lied to men, but to God. So you see that the Holy Spirit and God are one. They're both God, okay? Verse 5, And he, as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. He died. <laughs> and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came, and they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Okay, stop there. God was the one that killed them. He, 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 God is serious about sin, and he does not like uh, hypocrisy and doesn't like these shows of godliness that are not real. Well, verse, thir uh, verse 11, so great fear came over the whole church. In verse 12, at the hand of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Notice that those signs and wonders were done by the apostles, not by everyone. Verse 13, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. So after this, you know, you would think, wow, that's not a very good evangelism technique, God. <laughs> But what it did is weeded out the those who were insincere and didn't want to really, who were not really committed to following Christ. So people, you know, people are going over there and they're dying, right? So other people who weren't believers did not want to associate them, even though they had great respect. Verse 14, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. So notice, it did not stop. Okay, the hard truth of Scripture did not keep true believers away, did not keep people from being saved. We don't have to make it seem all nice and fuzzy in order to attract 
people to get saved. People, those who God has chosen, will be saved um, while we give people the truth, the, the good truth and the hard truth. All right. Um, people are being added, verse 15, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on, co- on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at, le- at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities of the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. See, this is showing that even though Jesus died, his ministry did not stop that the apostles carried forth his teaching and, and the authority and that, that this thing's going on, this thing's moving on. It didn't die with, with Jesus. Verse 17, But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were all filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison And taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. (laughs) How confusing that would be for the priests. It says, Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, and even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. How about that? They got out of prison, and instead of fleeing and hiding, they went right back to publicly proclaiming in the temple, the, the place where the chief priests work. Verse 26, the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue to teach in this name, and yet... You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be a somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this after this man, Judas of Galilee, not Judas Iscariot, a different guy, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. 
So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. Now listen to this. This is amazing. Verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Well, thank you for listening to The Gray Snapper, a podcast of Grace Church in Napa Valley. If you'd like more information, you can go to gracenapa.org. And until next time, keep swimming.